So we're trying to figure out the scenario where you have a Mitzri Shani, a second generation Mitzri, that the child is going to be completely permitted. What is the second generation Mitzri? Who are they supposed to marry? And the Gemara says, well, maybe we're talking about a case where the second generation Mitzri married a regular, you know, from the Kahal, from the congregation. The Gemara says, we don't want to talk about that case because the, typically the Pasuk doesn't deal with that type of case. So the Gemara is now trying to figure out this scenario. Is it really true, this principle, that the Pasuk does not deal with de'i? De'i means less than ideal, essentially, right? It means cases where it ought not to have been done, but after it's done, we'll deal with it. Typically, the Pasuk does not do that. So the Gemara says on the fourth line, another challenge. The case of which is like this. A man is not allowed to marry his divorced wife once she gets married to someone else. And yet still, the Pasuk says, Pasuk talks about that case. With the kaspe. Over there, the reason why I wrote it down is to teach the, the Iker prohibition, the main prohibition. And once it was wrote, written down to teach the prohibition, the Torah then taught that it also permits the torture. If it says sons referring to a mitzri and a daimi, then why does he also need to say separately generations? And if it says generations, then why does he need to say sons? If it would say sons, and not generations, I would have thought to say, only a first generation son and a second generation son will be permitted. Third generation will be permitted. Therefore, it says to say that it has to be three full generations, not just the third generation. If would have said generations and not said specifically sons, I would have said, Perhaps this halacha was not relevant forever. Maybe it was only relevant for the people who were standing at Harsinai. Maybe for them, three generations after their literal impact of, of like grandparents, grandchildren of the Mitzrim who oppressed them would be forbidden. Therefore, it says, sons, lehem, to them, mayhem, money, lehem. Means you start counting from the convert that the grandchild will be permitted. Lahem, to them, halacha you go after the soul. You go after whichever one is the is the one that is forbidden. If the father's a mitzri and the mother's a Jew, or if the mother's a mitzri and the father's a Jew, obviously they're both they're converted at this point. We're talking about though what's their lineage. Then no matter what, you're going to say that the children are considered the a, a mitzri child. It's necessary to write to them. It's also necessary to write that are born. He calls Rahman Ashayivaldu. He said the Pasuk would have only written those that are born. I would have thought to say, so I would have thought to say that what we start doing is we count we count three generations beginning from the, the converts' children. Therefore, the Pasuk says to them. Because Rahman if the Pasuk would have written to them, I would have thought to say, pregnant Mitzri woman converts. She and her child are considered one generation. Therefore, the Torah writes that are born and that the, the birth is considered to be a new generation, even though the child was conceived while she was still in the previous um, state. Um, sorry. And therefore, it's needed to write to them over here, Hacha, about the mitzvah. It's necessary to write to him about the moms, about the bastard. If a pastor would have only written over here, I would have said this only applies over here because the child comes from a tipa, from a drop of someone who is disqualified, and therefore the child takes on that same status. But a bastard who comes from a drop of somebody that was kosher, in other words, 
the parents are both totally kosher. They weren't kosher to each other, but they're totally kosher to other Jews. Because Rahmana Gabe Mamzer, if we're written only by a Mamzer, a Mamzer is problematic because a Mamzer will never be permitted to get married into the congregation. But over here, maybe I would say no. So you they're both necessary. Mitzri Shani Shanatsa Mitzris Vishina. You have a second generation Mitzri who marries a first generation Mitzris. Banash Lishihave. Her son is a third generation Mitzri. Alma Kasavar, Basur Didesha Dinale. So the implication from here is that Rabyechan holds that the child goes after the father. Most of Rabyes Vyesa challenges this. Rabbi Tarfanim, Rabbi Tarfan says, Mamzerim could purify themselves. Kate how is this so? A Mamzer, a bastard, Nasa Shikha marries a, a maidservant. Avlad Eved, their child is a regular servant. Shikharoi, when that child becomes freed, Nimsa ben Chayrin, he becomes a free man. Alma, so we see from here, Basar Didash that we go after the mother. Shani Hasm is different over there. Damar Kratz says in the Passock, Typically, we would say, don't go after the mother. Go after the father, who's the actual Jew, and he's a mamzer, and that will be problematic. Over there, the Passock explicitly tells us the child and, I'm sorry, the, the mom. Or the wife and her children will be after will, will be messiahs will be connected to and the lineage will go after the masters and therefore the child will also be a slave. Masav Rav Rav challenges the summer of Yehuda. Of Yehuda taught Minyamin Ger Mitzri. Minyamin was a Mitzri convert. He was a student of Rav Akiva. Ani Mitzri I'm a first generation Mitzri convert. I married a first generation Mitzri woman. I will marry my son to the second generation Today, why? So that she hey Ben Bini, Royal Love the House, that my grandson will be able to join the congregation. If you think you go after the father in this type of case, then you could have even married a first generation mitzvah. Rabbi Echanan said to the Tana who was taught Spaisa, Tani Rishaina. Read that the second generation son. He did not say that he needs to marry a second-generation son to a second-generation mitzvah. He could have even married the second-generation son to a first-generation mitzvah convert. He asked Rav Dimi, I'm Rav Yechon. Dimi came from her. It's probably said the name of Rav Yechon. Mitzvah Shani, Shinasa Mitzvah Shani. He was second-generation mitzvah. marries first-generation mitzvah. But no, Shani Havi. Her son is only considered second-generation, not third. Alma, Basar, Inesh, said, you know, see that you go after the mother. So you see that the child is considered a part of the mother. I'm Rav Let's say a man sets aside a pregnant animal as a chattas offering, yalda, and it gives birth. If he wants, he can get atonement from that baby. Or, sorry, if he wants to get kapara atonement from the mother, or if he wants to get kapara from the baby. If you say that the over is not considered a part of the mother, it's like someone who set aside two different chathas offerings as a, a security, right? As an achrayas. In other words, if one would be lost, the other one would take its place. taught about this. Someone who sets aside two chathas, two animals to be brought as a chathas offering. You get an atonement for either one of them. And the second one will be, go to the pasture until it has a mum. And when it has a mum, when it becomes blemished, then you can redeem it. But if you say that the fetus is a part of its mother, then it's the offspring of a chathas. The offspring of a chathas is sent to die. 
So how can Rabbi Yechman say that you can make a coma with either one of these animals? That doesn't make sense. Ishtar, he was quiet. Those over there that are born. Pasig makes it dependent on the being born. Being born means the mother and not the father. Karkafna, a clever man. I saw your head in between the pillars of the base measure. The reason is because it's written that are born. Everywhere else, typically we go after the father. You have a pregnant non-Jewish woman who is converting when she is pregnant. When she goes to the mikvah during her conversion process, since she is already pregnant, her son does not require another immersion. Why doesn't he require another immersion? If we say that we go after the father, then the child isn't really considered a part of its mother and it should require another immersion. Maybe you'll tell me because of Rabbi Yitzchak's halach. What did Yitzchak teach? On a Torah level, that which you, a chatzitza, that covers most of your body and you're not happy with it, is considered a chatzitza. Something that covers the majority of your body, but you don't care about it, that is not considered a chatzitza. In other words, the question is, this baby is it considered a chatzitza, I'm sorry, the mother is it considered a chatzitza. That's only true when it's the most of it. But everybody agrees that if it's completely covering the whole body, then of course it will be chaitzitz, it will be a chatzitza. And the Gemara is saying over here that the mother should be a chatzitza. This is that's not a good point because Shani Uber, the Hainu Rabise. And Uber, a fetus, is different because that's the way it grows. He also Ravina Ravina came, Amar Raviyech, and he said the name of Raviyech. Uma is halach acher The nations of the world, we go after the father. The sky roof, they converted. We go after the one that's more blemished from the two. For the nations of the world, we go after the male. How do you know that if one of the other nations, other than the seven nations of Canaan, right, and she, they sleep with a Canaanist woman, and they give birth to a son, you're allowed to buy him as a slave. If you would be considered a Canaanite from the seven tribes, you wouldn't be allowed to buy him as a slave because you would have to be killed. As it says, and it says, and also the children of the strangers, in other words, not the seven umas that were seven nations that were in Israel, that they happen to be sojourning amongst them. From them, you're allowed to buy servants. You might have thought to say, even one of the Canaanim who has relations with another nation, with another nation, and has a child, you're allowed to buy him as a servant. Therefore, the Pasuk says, that have given birth in your nation, in your land. Only from those that are born in your land. Not from those that happen to be living in your land. Let's say they've already converted, then we go after the one that is considered to be the more blemished. But my, what's the case? You say you're talking about a Mitzri who married an Amainis, and Mitzri has to wait three generations. An Amainis is permitted right away. My Pagum Shevashneim Ispa. What is the pogrom shebeshneim that is that is there? What blemish is there? In other words, the the pogrom over here is not really a pogrom. You're allowed to marry her. Um, it says amayni belay amaynis and amayni and not amaynis. There's no blemish at all. Elaba amayni shenasa mitzvus rather you have to say it's the opposite way. It's an amayni man never permitted mitzvus woman who will be permitted after three generations. I'm sorry, not not sorry, not she will be permitted right away. He zachar have 
if it's going to be a male child, then Shadia Basra Amani, then we say go after the father, and then it's going to be forbidden. In and, and then if you go after the, if you're going to go after the father, right, like this, it's pretty interesting. If, if it's a male child, then it's definitely going to be considered Amani, right? And therefore it's not going to be permitted. If it's a female child, then you're going to say like this, if we go after the father, then she'd be considered Amainus and she'd be permitted right away. But since in this example, it's fascinating to be more of a pogum is to be going after the mistress woman when she's a girl. To be more of a pogum is to go after the Amaini father when you're a boy. So that would be the pogum Shevashneya. Collect the Mishnah. The Mamzer or a Nasin, a Nasin are the people who have false conversions. Asurin be Yisurin Israelim. They are prohibited forever. Echad Zucharim, Echad Nekevis, no distinction between male and female. Says a female mamzer is permitted to marry a regular Jew after ten generations after the terrible incident that mars her lineage. He learns that just like over there, the females are permitted, so to here, females are permitted. Then you should have the, the capability to take that zera shava and say. Not only is it permitted, it's permitted right away. For some reason, the Xerosh only works from the 10th generation and on. So how, why is that? Because the Xerosh is limited. The Pasuk explicitly says, until the 10th generation. So you can't permit earlier than 10. are forbidden. Israel, and their prohibition is forever. Both male and female. Right? So seemingly that includes male and female mamzerim, and not like Rishlakish. That was the argument on the Mishnah. Like Kasha, Kamanda Amar, Dun, Mina, Mina. This one is saying, like, the Rishlakish is going according to the Psak that the Xerish Shabbat is completely, um, completely totally, right? And this other Xerish Shabbat is only going like the one that you have the ability to keep it within the context of what the Pasuk is teaching. What's the halach about a female mamzer after 10 generations? He said to them, If you can bring me even a third generation mamzer, I will purify it. What does this mean? This means that you're never going to find it. They don't exist. They don't live. Very frightening idea. What's the Mishnah teaching us? Allah is never relevant. Is it not going to live? I'm going to say, well, the name of Farshali Mineda and Yehuda is explained to me by Yehuda. The idea, if they are well known that they are Mamzerim, then they actually will live. The Layadia, if you don't know who they are, then they will not survive. In other words, what does that mean? That means that Hashem is saying, I don't want those individuals who nobody knows that they're a Mamzer, I don't want them to live because then they're going to get married to a regular Jew, right? So they'll end up dying a young death or an early death. But those who are not are known to everybody, nobody's going to marry them, therefore they can live. The idea of a lay idea, they're somewhat known in between. They can live for three generations. A man once lived in Ravami's neighborhood, and he said publicly, I am a mamzer, not a great thing to have to say about myself. He started crying and left. So he said to him, Ravami says, oh, and actually now you're going to live. And now he told everyone what you are. The king called the Gibbainim by Yemar Levi, said to them, 
Givenim are not the children of Israel. They're not going to be part of us. My time it are alive. What did he decree against them? Why? It's written, There's a famine in the days of King David, three years, year after year. First year he said to them, Maybe there are people who are worshiping idols, and that's why this is happening. It's written, Serve other gods and worship them. But he will shut up the heavens, and there will be no rain. But they checked, they couldn't find anybody worshiping idols. The second year he said to them, Maybe there are people who are transgressors amongst you. Showers have been withheld and there's no rain. And you have a, uh, you know, a, a horse bar. But they checked and they couldn't find anybody doing this. Third year, he says to them, Maybe there are men amongst you who publicly announce they're going to give money to charity and didn't give. The is written. Vapors and wind without rain. So too is someone who falsely makes the claim for his own self-aggrandizement that he's going to be giving a uh, a matana that's given. But they couldn't find anybody. It must be that the problem here is me. Right, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful idea that David Amelach has this attitude in life. Right? In other words, typically when you hear that there's some terrible, terrible story and we recognize that this is a sign to do teshuva, most people are busy pointing fingers at everybody else. But as we know, when you point a finger at everyone else, there's at least three fingers pointing back at you. Right? And David Amelach says, oh, it must be me. It's my problem. And immediately David Amelach goes to speak back to the and say, what should I do? My he. What does this mean? He asked him to how he can communicate. He's not a Navi. My what's the implication of this? Amr Abelazar asks you, Pene Pene. It comes from Xavier Shaba, a Pene over here, face over here, and face over here. Sivacha is written over here. Vakish Dabit is Pene Hashem. And Dabit Amal seeks out the, the face of Hashem. Sivacha is written over there. Who will inquire for him using the Urim in front of the face of Hashem. So you see this, this connection of face with Urim and Tumim. And for his house of blood, he put the death of Gabayim. For Shaul, because he wasn't doing that properly. And for his house of blood, he put the death of Gabayim. Where do we say that Shaul put the death of Gabayim? Because he killed the inhabitants of Naiv, the city of Kahanim, because he thought that they had harbored David, and they did. They were supplying the, them with water and um, and uh, and bread. The Gibeinim also ended up dying as a consequence. And therefore, the Pasuk said, it's as if he killed them. We demand justice for Shaul. He wasn't eulogized properly. And at the same time, a very different thing, he was also demanding justice that he killed people improperly. In. Seek Hashem, all you humble of the earth that have, have executed his judgment. Where there is his judgment, right, there's also going to be um, a execution that he carried out. In other words, both of these things can be happening concurrently, both something for which he is blamed and which he is actually absolutely blame, um, um, you know, blameless. Amar David, Shaul has already gone by 
12 months of the year. And 12 months of the year, that's it. There's no more eulogizing after that. We don't, we don't normally eulogize after this time. The Sinem, who were, who were killed, Let's call them, let's try to appease them. The king called him. He says to them, What can I do for you? How should I atone for what the previous king did? So that you'll be able to bless the inheritance of a God. We don't have any claim of silver and gold. We want to kill. right? We want to take a life for a life. And there's not any specific man. Rather, only the descendants of King Saul, right? Seven men of a son should be delivered to us, and we will hang them in front of God. The The nation of Israel, very famous tomorrow, has three special characteristics. They are merciful. They are modest. They are merciful. I will show you mercy and compassion upon you, multiply you. By shunning, merciful, modest, the spirit should be in front of you. Acts of kindness, as it's written, so that he, Avram, commands his children and his household after him to do acts of kindness. Anybody who has these two characteristics can properly get married to the Jewish people and free from them. But the Malach David, after this whole bemoaning the scenario over here with the Gavainim, he ends up taking two of the descendants of Shaul. And then the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Shaul, she had given birth to Adriel, the son of Barzillai. And he gave, and he gave this specifically these. So the Gemara tomorrow, we'll go through why he chose these individuals. But the basic idea is that David Amal clearly recognized that this was meant to be. This is not judgment, right? This is not that. There's no halacha about giving an eye for an eye, giving blood for blood. There is a halacha that if somebody kills accidentally, you can kill the person who killed, and, you know, in, in a uh, manslaughter type of way, that is a halacha that you can do. And there's a halacha that somebody who kills intentionally, you're allowed to be the, you are in mitzvah, that the relative should be the first person to, kill, to put the rock on them. But there's no halacha that somebody killed and you get to kill their grandchildren. So first of all, David Amalek only gave because he recognized that this is what Hashem wanted. He recognized that for whatever reason, this was a shock that was necessary to happen. But he's pointing out that the fact of the matter is these individuals are wicked individuals. These are not people we want to get married to because they don't have certain qualities. The Jewish people always look for chesed, right? That is who we are. That's what we stand for. We look for chesed. We look for kindness. We look for caring. We look for compassion. We look for patience, right? These are, these are who we are. These defines, defines these qualities, these traits, characteristics, define who the Jewish people are. And the Gavainim were so the an antithesis of this that there was no way that we could possibly have them marry into our community. Okay. Take care, guys. Be well. Good night. Bye.